All right, welcome to Discovering God Hour. A couple of quick announcements before I introduce our uh, speaker for the hour. Uh, first of all, if you are someone who has not joined our church, is just uh, looking to uh, see where we are about, there is uh, a, a class that Pastor Ken will be hosting now and for the next four weeks, and that is for uh, an orientation class. It doesn't require you to join or anything like that. If you have joined in the last three, four months uh, since the last time we did one of these classes, and you'd like to take the new members class, uh, we're going to be doing that one as well simultaneously. Those are in rooms one and two right up here. So if you feel like that fits you better, you're more than welcome to uh, Vamoose. Also, a couple of things to take note of in case you weren't here or didn't hear it the, in the first hour. Um, September 10th is a child training protection course. If you are looking even as a remote possibility of helping in any of our children's ministries over the next year, uh, this is something that you need to do. Um, and once you've got it, you've got it in, and uh, those principles will serve you well as you serve our children here at CBC. Uh, Community Institute begins on September 24th, and so if you would like to attend on Wednesday nights and you're not actively involved in the children's ministry, then I would uh, urge you to go over to the Information Center, sign up for one of the classes that are going to be offered on Wednesday nights this year. And then finally, Men's Retreat in Grass Lake. I know I need to sign up myself, and uh, so if you have not signed up, it was a great time last year. Guys, uh, it's not just for the young at heart or the young of knee <laughs> or, or the older guys. It's, it's a great time. I really enjoyed it last year, and I'm looking forward to it again this year, and I hope that, uh, if at all possible, you can make that a priority as well. This morning, uh, we already saw the video presentation from the Huffstutlers ministering in Kenya. And uh, Dan is going to come up now and uh, in just a second and deliver to us a message and uh, an update as to what the Lord is doing through them in that needy country. Um, some of you know uh, my best friend is a missionary in Uganda. And so I get his updates and Skype with him sometimes. And uh, countries that have some things in common... Uh, not just a border. But also, uh, if you haven't yet, please go over to the Huffstutler's table afterwards. Um, you always, it's school time. You, know, you always need to hang stuff on the fridge. So if nothing else, <laughs> no, this is a good way, and others as well, sign up for their missionary letter. Uh, let them know that we care about them, not just with our funds, but uh, you know, with a heart of compassion that Paul and those churches that supported him shared as well. I'm going to let Dan come up now and uh, have the balance of the time until 12 o'clock. All right, it's good to be with you this morning. Yes, still morning. Uh, it's been four years since we were here. Uh, my name again is Dan Huffstutler. All right, just, just all, all the letters. If you say all the letters, you're good. And I'll answer to a lot of different things because I've been called a lot of different things over the years. So feel free to twist and, abbre and abbreviate and uh, manipulate that last name, and I'll, and I'll still answer. Um, my wife Angie is here. It, it, maybe just wave Angie, so if, you, if you're not sure who, who she is. And my daughter Karis, our oldest, is over here, sitting on her, on her own, trying to express her individuality. And um, she's doing a good job of that. Karis is her name. We have two other daughters. You're going to see pictures of all these things here in a minute, but Faith and Michaela are somewhere in the facility, hopefully behaving themselves well. Um, it has been four years since we've been here, and uh, a lot of things have happened. And, what, and one of the ways I find uh, effective in communicating that is just creating a slideshow and talking my way through it. 
uh, and edu- kind of educating you a little bit around where we serve, how we serve, why we serve, what's happened, what hasn't happened, what is life like, what, why do we do what we do, all those kinds of things uh, where we've been called by the Lord in East Africa. Uh, my friend Zach referred to Uganda, which is the bordering country of Kenya, and we'll show you some pictures here that help you understand uh, where all that stuff is. If we have time, which is extremely rare, um, I would love to do some questions. So I'm going to make an effort to really speed my way through this just to give you guys some time, hopefully at the end, uh, to ask questions if, if you would have any uh, related to anything, related to what we're doing. We, we like to connect with you as much as we can. That's partly why we have the table over there. So if you haven't um, left your email and taken a prayer magnet, uh, please do that. We'd love for you to have that on your fridge if you don't mind or something metal somewhere that you pass by. And uh, we'd love to communicate with you and just stay connected with you as we have opportunity. All right, so the sound guys are the, the guys back there in the booth and I have talked and we're all going to hopefully just things are going to work right, right now, right? So they're going to switch it over to whatever it's supposed to be and I'm going to click my way through this to the best of my ability. All right, we were here four years ago. We told you some things about what we were going to do and I'm going to walk away from this mic and hopefully the mic, it's just all going to keep working because I, like I like to wander a bit. And uh, we explained what we, wanted, what we felt the Lord was calling us to do in East Africa, in Kenya. And so we made lots of plans. We went around, traveled all over the U.S., not all over, but much of the U.S. for about two years, uh, raising support to go to Kenya to do what we believe God wanted us to do, which I'm going to explain. But the Lord had some, had some uh, changes in mind for us that were not approved by us before they occurred. And so um, that's really some of what I'm doing right now is, is explaining what we wanted to do, how the Lord changed a lot of things in our minds and, and the events on the ground and how that has all shaken out and where we believe we're headed in the future. All right, so that's why I say following his lead, a flyover of the Huffstetler's turbulent ministry in East Africa, 2010 to 2014. Now, we're standing in a church uh, right now. I am here and you're sitting there and we're all wondering maybe why we're doing this and this is the reason why, Acts 15.4. Paul and Barnabas, who weren't exactly slouches in the church in Antioch, came back to that church after their missionary journey around the Mediterranean and did something to them. What did they do? They reported all that God had done with them. So following the example of Paul and Barnabas, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to come back to churches that have been supporting us and say, hey, you know, this is what we look like, this is what we've been doing, this is what happened, this is what didn't happen, so that, so that churches can pray well, so they can follow, communicate with us. Um, there's, there's a degree of accountability here, right? I mean, when I have to get up in front of a bunch of believers and church leaders and say, this is what's happening, right? It, it, it brings a lot of credibility and hopefully it's an encouragement as well to you and to the church about what God is doing in other parts of the world. This is what we look like, obviously. That's what the prayer magnet looks like. Lots of information on there if you ever need it. Email, websites, et cetera, et cetera. The kids, names, everything you, all the vital information. 2010, we looked like that. Uh, now we look like this. That's the point of that slide. Hopefully only the younger three have, have changed dramatically in that period of time. We don't always dress up in nice collared shirts and look fancy. Um, these are just some random, random uh, candid shots. I'm going to show you. I'm going to do this quite a bit, just show you a bunch of pictures. I'm not going to be able to always say a lot about all the different pictures, so if you have questions, ask those kinds of things. But there's a goat leg in my mouth if you're wondering what that is. Uh, goat is one of the favorite meats in Kenya. Uh, that picture at the top left is uh, uh, a picture I'll refer to again. So maybe, maybe remember that of Ange and I there up on the top left up here. That's a picture I'll refer to. The rest are just different things from life as we've been uh, spending the last four years of our lives. Our mission. Um, as, we, as you come to a church um, in, in 
conservative evangelicalism, whatever you want to call yourself, fundamentalism, Bible-believing, premillennial, whatever term you want to use uh, to describe who you are as a Christian or the, or the category of Christian you exist in. Uh, the, the, the term mission or missionaries has gotten ex, ex, increasingly fuzzy or increasingly used for a lot of different things uh, in, in our day and age. And so I know lots of people who call themselves missionaries who do things like uh, teach in a slum situation, teach in a school in a slum situation, maybe help people with personal hygiene, maybe teach in an orphanage or run an orphanage, maybe teach in a mission school, teaching missionary kids in some kind of a school setting. Uh, where you know the kids are shipped in like a boarding school um, I know some people who who are primarily concerned about um, taking care of the earth and helping people take care of their earth their part of the earth better than they have been doing or maybe teaching people how to hygienically uh, behave you know so don't wash you know wash your hands after various things uh, you know how do you prepare your food you know those kinds of issues uh, and they use the term mission or missionary to describe what they're doing. And so what I'm trying to do here is, is, is bring us back a little bit to a New Testament idea of what missions is and what mission is. And specifically for our family, it falls along the lines of this, seeking to fully establish churches. Uh, the New Testament's all about churches and church life for the glory of God by evangelizing the lost, so bringing people into churches, equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. So, so helping saints, right? You're the saints, not, not the saints that we pray to, right? Which we don't pray to saints, hopefully, uh, in this church. But, you know, hopefully you know what I'm referring to. Uh, so equipping those saints to do the work of the ministry and then entrusting the word to faithful disciples. So training leaders of churches to do what churches should be doing. So as, as we think about what we're doing in Kenya, as we think about what the New Testament describes that missions did, missionaries did, uh, we wanted to kind of flush that out for you and, and to help you understand what, what it is we're exactly doing. How did we get here? Observing the sovereign hand of the Lord. Uh, we have a sending church, just like, that, just like Paul and Barnabas. There was a church somewhere that said, these people, uh, you know, they can walk and chew gum at the same time, and we are going to send them somewhere to accomplish something. Uh, so, and so we have a home church that somewhere along the line decided that. Uh, you, many of you probably are familiar with that church. Our mission as well is based in that church. Uh, Grace Baptist Mission is, the, is a mission that oversees mostly the like, financial stuff, insurance. Uh, there's, some, there's some degree of uh, collaboration and, and thinking and uh, member care where they, where they check up on us every now and then, see how we're doing in language, see how we're doing in um, cultural learning. Sometimes they help us with projects and things just to help us. Uh, they're kind of you know, setting standards and helping us acclimate well to the places we're trying to go. Grace Baptist has folks, and I'm sure many of you know some of these folks, so I won't mention all the names, but folks in Turkey, uh, in Istanbul area, in East Africa, in Tanzania, and in Kenya, uh, some in India. There's some church planters in the States. So just to give you a little bit of a feel, if you've never heard of Grace Baptist Mission, uh, what, who that is and what's happening there. 2001, we left for East Africa. Uh, we color-coded our children so we wouldn't lose them and left from O'Hare, uh, so it's about 24 hours from door to door uh, to land in Nairobi. And once you hit the ground as a missionary, you have a lot of learning to do. You know, you've spent two years telling everybody about the place you want to go, but you actually have a lot of learning to do once you get there. There's language, there's culture, very, very different, uh, depending on where you might live. And so got a number of different pictures of, of just some things that struck us uh, that we took pictures of while we were there. So we actually went to Mwanza, Tanzania. 
uh, to begin Swahili learning, the, the learning of, the, of one of the national languages of Kenya, because in, in Tanzania you can immerse yourself in Swahili, whereas in Nairobi it's more, more difficult to do that. There's a lot more English in Nairobi and other ethnic tongues. And so we wanted to really focus on Swahili, so we, our mission has had an empty home in Mwanza, Tanzania, uh, while a missionary was here in the States, so we went and lived in their home for about four months. And so a number of these pictures are like, uh, if you see, if you see, uh, if you are lucky, you will see a crocodile. So that was just a little beach area that we were by. We didn't, we weren't lucky, so we didn't see the crocodile, but language tutors, uh, this is the Church of the Baptists of Grace in the village of Shadi. That's what that, that wording there, Karabuni Wote means everyone is welcome, has the times of the services, things like that. On this is the classroom, we studied our uh, Swahili in for many hours for a number of months there in Wanza. So, uh, most of these pictures are from Nairobi area. These are just some random shots of things rela- that I thought were a bit unusual, like the uh, revival of Islamic Heritage Society, African Continent Committee, I think that's Kuwaiti. Uh, so a lot, of, a lot of Islamic money, Muslim money, is coming into that part of the world, building mosques, uh, social programs, different things. Meat trucks, we don't buy our meat from the meat truck. Uh, the prosperity gospel has affected Hinduism, Buddhism, uh, Hinduism here probably. So may his guy's promoting mass healings that he's going to be accomplishing or uh, performing. Uh, just trailers carrying lots of stuff, guys on top of street poles doing acrobatics probably for money um, in the middle of the city. Um, so lots of different things that you may not be accustomed to here. Uh, Santa Claus has a different skin color in Nairobi. Uh, different temples. We've actually been inside this temple. It's right on, on a large game park, so you're not far from animals, and we can drive a couple hours and see lots of different African-type animals. This guy is probably the fastest guy in town here. Uh, the guy pulling the trailer full of oil or wa- uh, water, uh, more than likely, because tr- the roads are antiquated, and there's a lot more vehicles. I, I just was reading somewhere, if you, if you search on YouTube for uh, driving in Nairobi, there's some Canadian guy that did a little two-minute, three-minute blurb on driving a vehicle in Nairobi, and he said uh, that since 2008, the number of vehicles in Nairobi has doubled, and the roads have not doubled, and so it's, it's, a, it's a traffic jam pretty much 24 hours a day. But that guy is probably, we've been passed by that guy many a time as we are sitting in our vehicle and he's just walking his trailer by us because sometimes that's it's faster to walk than anything else. You've probably heard of some slums in Nairobi. Nairobi has some of the largest slums in Africa, so this is Kibera. Um, thousands and thousands of people here. It's kind of a no-go zone for people with my skin color, unless you have protectors. Uh, this is a 19-hole luxury golf course, uh, re- like a country club, right on the border there, middle-class neighborhood. Uh, we actually live just uh, a little bit, there's a road here, and we live just on this side of the road a little ways, uh, to kind of give you a sense for, this is the west side of Nairobi. So if you could, so lots of different people living very close to one another in very different levels of existence. One of, that's probably the, one of the biggest things I've noticed between America and, and places like this. Uh, here, generally, people have a similar standard of living. So there are certainly some differences, but there, there are huge differences. And that presents a lot of problems for society in those places. Um, many of you probably heard of Kenya, Nairobi, about a year or so ago during this uh, terror attack on the Westgate Mall. Uh, four Somali militants came in with AK-47s and help on the inside. And they had stocked a lot of weapons on the inside of the mall. And they took over this mall for about four days. The Kenya Defense Forces 
ended up uh, pretty much destroying the mall and looting it while they were destroying it. So the army, the, ar- the Kenyan army came in, looted and basically destroyed the mall, killing these four guys. And this was probably 20 minutes from where we lived, and we'd actually been there. The picture that I showed you uh, at the very beginning with just Angie and I up in the top corner, that was taken about a month before, um, just out front, r- right in the exact place where people died. Uh, to give you a sense, it was an urban burger place that we went to just get a burger with the family. This was a high-end mall in Nairobi, probably the nicest mall, and they had a little burger shop, and so we took a family outing on a weekday over to that part of town because we would never go on a weekend when traffic is awful. And uh, just had a burger there, and about a month later, this attack took place. So you probably saw something about this on CNN. Um, Al-Shabaab is the eastern, eastern version of Al-Qaeda, or maybe ISIS now, and so they are... They've been, this was the big thing. They've done a lot of smaller things like throwing grenades at churches and shooting people. And uh, Especially on the coast. Kenya is very Muslim on the coast. And then there's mosques in every town. So it affects how you live your life. And, and this one certainly uh, was made very near to us. Some of these people actually go to our church. You may have seen pictures of maybe this picture, maybe this one. Uh, because Good Morning America and a few other places interview, interview these folks. They're Americans who attend our church, actually, in Nairobi. So we were, you know, getting SMSs that this family is underneath an escalator. People are shooting over top of the, the lady and the girls. As a matter you probably can't see it, but this little white thing right here has uh, the mom and these two kids underneath the white thing. And this is when they, <coughs> when they sent the girl to run. They'd, they'd kind of forced the terrace upstairs a little bit. And so they, she thought that this guy was another guy in our church, but he was actually just a civil, civilian armed guy with a weapon in there, you know, trying to, <laughs> trying to save people's lives, basically. And uh, they sent the girl out by herself, and so she thought it was another guy, so she ran to him, and then the mom was able to get out a little bit later. So, you know, when you know per- people who go through that, and you know you were there a month before, it affects the way you think and live and all sorts of things about how we operate in the in the city all right so it's just random things right about nairobi east africa uh if you're wondering where we live that's that's if you see the two green balloons that's the difference roughly this is actually in wanza so a little farther up you've got nairobi uh give you a sense of how big africa is sometimes we meet folks and they're like do you know those missionaries in and they say some country which is like over here on the west side of africa and there is a lot of space between East Africa and West Africa. Um, huge, huge continent, gazillions of people. Just those countries might give you a sense of how, how truly big the place is. Zeroing in on where we live uh, in our area. So we've got Somalia up here. You've probably heard about that. At Ethiopia, South Sudan, newest country in the world. Tanzania uh, over here. Rwanda, Burundi, Uganda was the country that, that uh, Zach referred to. Kenya then is just right in here. It's about 12 hours from Mwanza to Nairobi via a vehicle. Give you a sense, long, long day uh, if, you, if you drive that. When we left here, we were trying to accomplish a number of things. These were some of those things that we wanted to accomplish as we hit the ground in 2010, 2011. Learn Swahili, develop relationships, begin to... Nairobi is an area where many people come to from many different places. Uh, so influence them, make disciples, plant churches, train leaders. And our mission had 100 acres of mission land on the only highway between Mombasa and Nairobi. So coastal port, Mombasa, East Coast, Indian Ocean, uh, Nairobi, the main strategic, economic, financial hub of East Africa, multiple countries. In other words, look to Nairobi for uh, finances, 
uh, education, government. Uh, a lot of things are based there, UN, and we'll, we'll talk a lot more about that as we go along. That's what the land looked like. Uh, we were only, our mission was only using about half of it for kind of an evangelistic uh, outreach camp ministry. We'd also had some pastor's conferences on here for about five years while I was actually living in this area, uh, 2006 to about 2010. Uh, so we had some visions of having a school, especially on this upper half. There's actually a home right about here that we were going to live in. And so we knew exactly where we were going to live. We planned all our furniture, you know, for the house. We had thought about kids' education, all the kind of things, you know, when you move on the, to the other side of the world and you're taking three little girls with you. So you kind of have to think about what, how, what's life going to be like when you get there, as well as ministry. There's a, there, the one highway, it's kind of like a, I mean, if you think of a freeway or an interstate, it's not quite that nice, but similar. It, it runs along up here just to the bottom of this hills, and everything that goes inland has to go on that highway. So things come into the port in Mombasa, have to make their way up that highway, and this, so we had frontage land on that highway. So good location, people could get to us uh, fairly easily. But the Lord had some different plans, and so I want to explain to you uh, what those, some of those plans were. And when, when the Lord brings plans, or change of plans, into your life, you, you have to think about what that means, and you have to respond appropriately to those things. And that's not always easy to do when you are on the other side of the world, a long ways away from everybody, and all your worldly possessions are floating on a boat someplace, coming your direction, and you're dependent upon a lot of other people to accomplish things. Uh, you start wondering if the Lord really knows what he's doing. So we follow his lead, though, even when things don't make sense. And obviously, uh, things like a concrete factory that uh, illegally moved next door to the mission land where we were planning to live uh, can bring a wrinkle into your life. And, th- and I don't know if, you, if everybody here gets newsletters or how, if you read up on things, but if you were getting my newsletters back then, you might remember me pulling my hair out. Uh, if you don't get those newsletters, then you can go over there and sign up for those newsletters after uh, we're done here. But $340 million largest factory, cement factory in East Africa, plopped down right next door to our mission land. So you've got an industrial commercialized project of big money proportions that is going to be working all night and all day, churning out uh, cement dust. They, so they bring all the stuff in and they produce the cement there and then send it all over Kenya, especially to Nairobi and to another major town down that highway. And uh, we, I mean, it's bigger than this now. These are some of the pictures of when we were there, and maybe one a little bit more recent, but it is an enormous facility, lights, noise, pollution. Uh, And so before we got to Kenya, the missionary living on the mission land who had fought this thing for a number of years uh, recognized that he was not going to win the war. Uh, Our friendly cement factory had sent over some armed guys in the middle of the night to encourage the missionary to leave. when they had the opening, the grand opening for this facility, the president, the vice president, and the cabinet, and a whole lot of other important people came to the event. Uh, so we, once those kind of things start happening, you realize, you know, is it really worth me, uh, is it worth us do, keeping this? Um, because this is 100 acres. Missionaries don't have 100 acres on a major interstate or a major road just outside a lo- very large city very often. So we knew that, hey, this is unusual. We don't want to lose this if we can help it. Uh, but through a number of events like this and, and other things, we, we recognize that maybe the Lord has different plans for us. And so they sold it before we even arrived in Kenya. While we were in Tanzania in language school, we got an email that basically said, we've had it, we can't take it anymore, we're leaving, uh, and we're selling the land, and so deal with it. <laughs> it was basically the email we received, and uh, that caused us some trouble. 
So, by the new situation, by January of 2011, we are arriving in Kenya. The church that we were hoping to work with and minister in, uh, and just learn in as well, uh, was losing its location. It was a church plant situation. They were renting. They have a tent, and they were renting that plot. And that, the owner of that plot wanted to sell the plot, one acre, for $1.5 million U.S. dollars. And the church did not have that kind of money. The concrete plant was coming and making life unbearable. The mission land was up for sale with no land available. Even still today, we haven't been able to find any. Uh, There was a tax issue. The Kenyan government was starting to find new people to tax, and we were one of them. And they wanted 30% of our income. So that wasn't really in the budget when we left. And so trying to figure out how we do that, uh, which caused a lot of confusion and frustration symbolized by my tacky Microsoft graphic of confusion and frustration. But recognizing the way that his ways are not our ways, that we need to adjust our plans sometimes. Passages like Proverbs 19, that we make all the plans we want, but it's the purpose of the Lord that will stand through, through time, through trials. Uh, this is obviously a well-known passage, but when you really have to live it, right, that's a little different story. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose, for those he foreknew, He predestined to become conformed to the image of his son. And that kind of sounds like something happening before I was here, right? And it doesn't say anything about facilities and buildings and locations and specific tasks. But he's accomplishing those things in our lives and we need to get on board with him and recognize that he's doing things for my good and for his glory. And whatever that means, right, we we follow his lead in in the events that come our way. And so that's what we began to do. And then since I don't have four years to tell you everything, right, I'm going to do it in about 10 seconds. And this is what happened. in 2000. So right now, this is the situation we're dealing with right now. Uh, the mission land sold for about a 300% profit. Uh, it was valuable land, and it helped finance the church property purchase. One acre, $1.5 million in Nairobi. The church had been renting for a number of years. The owner wants to get rid of it. Tax issue's been settled. Nothing's ever 100% settled when you're an expat in a foreign country, but it's farther along. Uh, church and theological school have a permanent home despite higher offers on that plot. So the mu- Muslim community and uh, cabinet members of the government offered the lady who, was o- who owned the property more money than we did, and yet the church was able to, to get it. Um, theological training is in operation from a convenient strategic location in the city, and training more students less cost than we would have been able to do at the previous mission land. Because we're in the city, and I'll explain more of how all this works, uh, it's a much better situation for me and for us in the theological training, the pastoral school uh, in the current location in the city than it would have been. Uh, Pastor's conference we were able to have at, so I I talked about having pastor's conferences out at that mission land. We were finally able to have one in May just before we came back, uh, and we're still looking for... Uh, new camp conference center type facility land. So Lord's done a lot in four years. Hopefully you, you get the idea there with, with what I'm ex- expressing. Now I just want to step back a little bit and tell you a little bit about Nairobi and then push on to what specifically we're doing. So give you a sense of where the old mission land was. It was out here along this highway and now we're located here. The uh, Much closer, if you could, I don't know if you can see Nairobi, but the center of Nairobi is just right here. So we're just 15, 20 minutes away from the center of the city, right along a paved road. There's public transport, transportation nearby. Uh, there's a big mall, kind of like the other mall that got destroyed just 10 minutes away. So it's a, it's a strategic area. It's a good area in the city to be in. 
uh, if you're doing the kind of things we're doing. Things, Nairobi is a city of about four million. We have two national languages, but everybody really speaks about three because they grow up in a, in a tribal home, in an ethnic language. So there's over 40 different tribes. They all have their own, a lot of them have their own languages. Uh, business and financial hub of all of East Africa is Nairobi. It's uh, a lot of countries look there. That's where all the money's coming. Uh, the UN is based there as well. A lot, four different UN headquarters. Every country in the world has an embassy there. Uh, Western corporations have recognized the potential of Nairobi, so lots of people are putting offices there now. So you can see that IBM, Google, Chevrolet, Coke, Cisco, GE, Intel, Motorola have now put offices or factories or facilities of some sort. Uh, the lead tech for Google in Africa uh, actually attends our church there in Nairobi. Um, there's people from all over the world in our church in Nairobi. South, I mean, Europeans, Africans, Asians, South Africans. Uh, it's, it's a strange city in some ways to, to live in as a missionary. Uh, it's, militarily, there's an awful lot happened. It's a very strategic location for the West, Kenya is. So there's a lot of intra-military action between the, with the British and the Americans and the Kenyans. With Somalia, Somalia, a failed state just north, uh, and the Indian Ocean, and, and a lot of bad things on the other side of the Indian Ocean, there's a lot of coordination taking place there. The, the Air Force attache for the U.S. Embassy, uh, who's the head military guy for all U.S. military activity in East Africa, attends our church as well. So he can never tell me anything without killing me. But a lot of sometimes I can, I know when things are interesting. When I read the newspaper and he, he you know, is walking out of church and reading his phone and SMSing and things like that. Got, I have a friend that, that has been down on the coast and he says he sees drones that are you know, going along the coast of Kenya. And there's probably some guy in Virginia driving those drones uh, up and down the coast. So just to give you a sense of, of what the world has become that we live in and, and, and why this area is kind of strategic. International airport as well. It's a major tourism destination for Europeans especially, but, but others as well. Nairobi looks real pretty in these pictures. It doesn't look so pretty when you're on the ground, but we, we enjoy living there, and I feel blessed to be a part of what God's doing there. So what are we doing specifically, all right? Evangelizing the lost. What does that look like and why? So Matthew 28 and 29, I think Pastor quoted this morning, but that's the last thing Jesus said on earth, right? He's giving that, that commission to his disciples, i.e. the church. And so as, so as we think about what should somebody be doing like us, we're thinking we should be doing we should be reproducing ourselves, reproducing churches uh, wherever God takes us. And so, make disciples of all the nations, baptize them. You put a baptismal in your church building because you don't do it at home as a family. You do it in front of an assembly of believers. And so, all that's kind of taking place within the context of local churches, teaching them where to, teaching take place. Right, right here Sunday morning, or at other times, uh, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So that kind of thinking undergirds how we reach out, where we go, how, you know, how we go, who we work with, who we don't work with, what, what do we spend our, the majority of our time on. Um, so I've got a, now I've got a number of random pictures that follow, kind of follow my outline of evangelizing the lost, equipping the saints, and entrusting the word. All right? And so I'm going to just go through these pretty quickly without making too much comment on, but you get the idea that I was actually doing something. Hopefully that's the point that you get as we go through this, that I'm not just over there twiddling my thumbs. Um, so Sudan, this is up in Sudan, actually. I'll talk more about that. Just for, various evangelistic forums. This is our home uh, where we had a Bible study every Friday night for a couple years uh, with Emmanuel Baptist Church, that home church. Uh, sometimes had some opportunities to preach in that church. Uh, we also visited other churches because ch- neighborhoods in Nairobi are very segregated and very different. And so sometimes 
You need to spend time in a different kind of church where things are very different from the church uh, that the school is based in. And so some of these are pictures from some of those places uh, that we've been around Nairobi. Some of this is a couple hours outside of Nairobi. Um, so just different opportunities to evangelize through, through churches and to, and to help those churches as we are in this learning process. Ephesians 4, 11 through 13 talks about equipping the saints. Um, he gave leadership to the church for the equipping of the saints for the work of service. So, you know, if you're into church philosophy and thinking through some of those things, sometimes uh, churches, you know, it's the guys up here that are doing all the work, right? And, and those folks out there are just observing and, spec- and they're spectators in what's taking place. And so I know this church and as well as the scriptures are, are encouraging us to make it everybody's involved in the work of the ministry. And, and God's given leadership that trains the, the, the saints those within the church, to accomplish ministry. And so that's what we're trying to do that in, in, in creative ways and helpful ways to the churches that do exist in this part of the world. They don't have any curriculums. You know, they don't have buildings like this. They don't have DVDs that they can watch. They have pretty much nothing but a Bible. And so when they think about discipling their people, right, or equipping their people for the work of the ministry, how do they do that? They don't have a Discovering God hour. They don't have coffee and bagels, you know, between services, um, transportation is difficult. Security at night is bad news. We don't go out at night. So how, how, does, how do you equip the saints to be a, re, to be a reproducing church, uh, to ministering in your community if you, are, if you have all those challenges, which are very unlike here? Uh, and so we're trying to help churches, trying to be a resource center, trying to be a training center in, in some of the ministries we're doing, uh, trying to provide resources to them, whether in English or Swahili, uh, so that they have things that they can use to, to disciple their own people. So, to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity. Notice, notice the maturing process that this passage is, struck, is, encur- is encouraging. Knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. So we're all, right, we're all growing. In one way or another, everybody in the room is growing. We're maturing. We're conforming. We all are at different levels probably, but the Lord is bringing us along He's given leaders to help us in that process. So we're trying to do that in churches. Uh, this is actually the home church. We meet in a tent 12 months out of the year. Uh, this is the new tent just put up a few months ago. Um, Nairobi is a mile-high city on the equator. So it's 55 to 85 years round, year-round. Come visit sometime. Low humidity. Uh, it was really hot and humid here about two days ago before the big storm came in. It's never that humid in Nairobi. Now, if you go to Mombasa, it's a different story. Uh, and different parts of Nairobi are very different in elevation, or in Kenya, are different in elevation, so it changes. But Nairobi, at least, is kind of a mile-high city. It was built by, uh, it really started with the British and the railroad that was coming from the coast uh, inland, and that was, a pl- that was high enough that the mosquitoes didn't have malaria at that height, and so people lived a few months longer uh, when they were working on the railroad, and so that's really the origins of the city so we've had lots of opportunities to speak there, minister there, music, all kinds of different things that the Lord's given us opportunity to do. The, the theological school, East Africa Baptist School of Theology, which I'll explain more about, is based in this church. So it's an unusual church, even though we only have one acre. It's in a wealthy part of the city. It's, there's significant, I mean, there's people that have a whole lot more money and a whole lot better cars than I do. Um, sometimes when missionaries go to East to Africa or someplace where the, in, the economy is much lower... Um, the missionary has the best vehicle in town and the best everything in town. Uh, Mwanza's like that. If you go to Mwanza, the missionary tends to be at, at a higher level than everybody around them. Here, that's not the case. I'm, I'm upper middle class, probably, uh, in, 
in Nairobi. And there are certainly many that are very wealthy. We've, had conf- uh, number, we've done conferences in the past. This was some of the frustration of losing, these, losing this facility. This is some, some of these pictures are from the mission land where we were able to do uh, different conferences and things there with church leaders um, from around Kenya. Did this for a number of years. Get, uh, a lot of opportunities when you have these conferences. To, you got basically have a week. You can sleep, feed, shower, preach for, two, for a whole week. Uh, and you know these, this many people will come and give them resources. You can kind of guide their thinking a little bit. You can expose them to good biblical preaching, good biblical theology. So there's some advantages to the conference idea in these kinds of settings. And we, so we were really disappointed when we lost the mission land uh, because we didn't really have the, ca- the capability we used to have. And trusting the word, specifically along the lines of theological training. Second uh, Timothy 2.2, Paul, speaking to Timothy, right, says, commit, find faithful men and entrust, commit uh, God's word to them who are able to teach others also. And so we're trying to do that as we think about reproducing churches. You've got to train leaders for those churches or you're not going to have churches. And many times in our, I would say in our movement, in, in whatever you call that, uh, conservative, Bible-believing churches, we haven't been always very good at training leaders. And so when the missionary leaves, the leaders who are there are easily pulled different directions. And so you go to Africa t- today, and churches that were started by missionaries are totally overrun with hered- a heretical gospel, like the prosperity gospel, where basically you exist to make me wealthy, and you need to give me money, and God will bless you when you give me money. Or give the church money, and all the church goes into my all the church's money goes into my pocket, um, and and that is just to- totally overcome, overrun uh, much of Christianity outside of America, even in America, because it really started here uh, in many ways. So we're trying to stop that. We're trying to prevent that, which means you got to train leaders the right way. And uh, let me explain more about how we do that through East Africa Baptist School of Theology. This is some of you might be familiar with Detroit Baptist. Theological Seminary just up the road, and this is not really very similar to that. Um, this It is in some ways. I'm thankful for that. I went to that school. I'm, I went to another school, and I'm thankful for what I received in, that Western, in a more Western paradigm of educating. But because of where we are, because of the lack of resources, because of the level of the people we're, we're ministering to, they come at all different levels, uh, and a number of different reasons, we felt like this model, this approach, is, is, a, is a better way to do what the New Testament tells us to do. The New Testament doesn't say send them to Jerusalem Baptist College or Jerusalem Bible Seminary and for four years or five years, and once they're trained and equipped, then have them come back to your church and lead your church. This doesn't seem to really indicate that that was the way anybody did it in the New Testament. That's the way we do it, though, today, by and large. Not always, and especially in this area, when you have a seminary up the road, it really helps because you don't have to do that. They can stay here, and I think this church in particular is one of those churches that really benefits from having guys, leaders in the church who can do theological training while they're in the ministry, and they get, so they get a lot of good experience. They really get a whole other education here in a local church while they're getting the real education theologically up the road or wherever they may be going. So we're trying to kind of do that in, in Nairobi in a little bit of a different setting. So we're church-based, which means the training, all of our training takes place in churches. Churches have facilities, churches have uh, electricity, they have internet sometimes, and they have spiritual leaders. And so we want to take advantage of all that because we don't want to have to pay for that. And churches don't need to pay for that necessarily, or students don't necessarily need to pay for that if churches will recognize that it's their job to do this. 
Because uh, 2 Timothy 2.2 2 was written to the leader of churches who was planting other churches. It didn't say anything about, hey, go out there and create a parachurch organization and then let's make that parachurch organization bill everybody else uh, for what they need to do. So we've got a really nice, we've got a facility, we've got classrooms, we've got everything we need to do educating. Uh, and so we, find, we were finding creative ways to do the educational process uh, in this setup. So we're competency-based. That means we, we try to make it easy for pastors to, to do the educating, which means you can't have a whole bunch of grading and you can't have A's, you know. Basically, it's pass and fail to some degree. Uh, the real question we're asking is, can you do what you say you can do? Do you know what you say you know? And you don't necessarily have to have a true-false quiz or a true-false test or multiple choice to get that answer. Okay, so that, that's some, some of what we're doing. We're, we, have a lot, we do a lot in, relate, in relation to assessing people. We have rubrics, and we rate them on a rubric. How are you in these categories? How do you, okay? And so we have a lot of one-on-ones with people. Um, we have, we, everybody has two or three mentors. They have multiple assessments in the course of their programs. Um, everything they turn in is assessed. It's not necessarily graded. I mean, it is graded. We are grading it, but we're not grading it like we do many times in our educational system. We're combining training with ministry. I've already talked a little bit about that, but if you look at the New Testament, what's Paul and Timothy doing, right? Everywhere they go, training is taking place right alongside the Apostle Paul. And, and sometimes they send them off for a while, but they come back, and, there's, and continued training takes place, especially with Christ and the Apostles. Uh, we're reproducible and sustainable. We don't ship in books from Amazon. You don't have to spend $150 for one seminary class. Uh, when you take one of our classes, we have binders that have been reproduced. All, and they, have about, they have a theological reader of about 300 pages, all reproduced with permission, paying royalties in America uh, in order to do it in Kenya. So I have digital access to the material in Africa. I go to my local printer and I say, make me 10 of these and put a nice cover on it. And he does that. And so I pay, so the student pays about $25 uh, and gets a couple hundred page theological reader specifically focused to the particular subject matter we are studying for that course all reproduced in country in Kenya no Amazon no shipping no big bucks etc okay so we're, we're pushing trying to think how can we make this more reproducible do we really have to spend that money in order to accomplish this or can we do something can we do it another way um, and so we're thinking along that way uh, we offer degrees in theolo- theology and ministry so you can get a bachelor of theology a bachelor of ministry a master's of theology or a master of ministry so we're really focused on leadership for the church in what we're doing. Uh, you can actually get, we have partnered with a ministry uh, in this work that allows us to offer U.S. accredited degrees as well. So if you want to come to Nairobi and get a U.S. accredited bachelor of ministry, I'm the man to talk to you. If you're a Kenyan and your pocketbook is a lot smaller than your average American and you've only got maybe $25 a month you could spend, we have created East Africa Baptist School of Theology, which will, which basically has the exact same program, material, information, curriculum, as the U.S. accredited version for a whole lot less price. And so all of our students currently, uh, well, two of them are in the U.S. accredited version. The other 20 or so are in the local East Africa Baptist School of Theology program. So almost identical in what they do, but the price is, is, great, is a big difference because we're not, one's U.S. accredited and one's not. Basically $6,000 for that U.S. accredited. That's like a half a million shillings. There's some examples of shillings on the table over there. Um, that's about what a, a Kenyan would pay for a bachelor's degree. So it's comparable to what's being paid uh, in that part of the world. My time is rapidly going, and we're, in the, and we're back in the picture section. So 
I'll cl- click through these quick. Uh, this is what termites do to wood. And the building that, we, that East Africa Baptist School of Theology, EAPST, uh, uses is on the church facility, but it needed renovation. And so old colonial home, four big rooms. Uh, we spent a bunch of money <laughs> to renovate this place and uh, help us out. We have a, book, a library of about 12,000 books with a couple other thousand books waiting to get in there. Very high-quality library uh, for that part of the world. Normally when you, people give you books, they give you their junk. And we were able to buy someone's good library and then get some other good donations. And so uh, we we're really thankful for, for that resource. It's just some random pictures of what things look like in that facility. Jeremy Pitsley, who I believe this church supports, and then Jonathan Moore and his family, who some of you may know. Uh, they were up in Lake Orion, Michigan, and, and First Baptist up there. Our, our, our missionary partners, teacher, missionary, teacher, church planners, working alongside of us here in Nairobi. Establishing the church. I'm kind of putting all those things in now, right? Equip, or evangelizing the lost, equipping the saints, and trusting the word under this idea of establishing the church. Uh, as, a, as a missionary, as you come into a place where there is some degree of Christianity at times, but yet you recognize that these churches sometimes have totally lost the gospel or they're very deficient in how they think about church life, there's, there's, we can really serve and help in many of those ways. And you see, you really see the apostles doing that very thing in their churches. First Peter. Peter is concerned that those saints be perfected, confirmed, strengthened, and established. He's, God is going to accomplish that in, in you, in those churches. Paul specifically sent... Uh, Timothy to the Thessalonians to establish and exhort them in their faith. Right? So they, they needed help, in other words. And Paul was sending right, his right-hand guy there to, to help them, to establish them, to, to help them to un- know what they don't know. And so we, we are doing some of that as well under, under that broad umbrella up in, in uh, Juba and Ye, uh, Sudan. I had the opportunity to spend a couple weeks up there. And that is a whole other world. Um, you think you come to Nairobi, you might think you're in one world, but you go to you go to South Sudan, and you're in a whole other world. Uh, and it's a, it's a it's a tough place. They're in the middle of a civil war again, I believe. It's it's I'm not quite sure the current status, but they they were fighting uh, and, and trying to bring peace about the time we left. Uh, we, we were able to have a conference in the city uh, at this new church location. Now that we finally have the church, we have a renovated building. We have theological students who can help us. Uh, accomplish what we're doing. We have some classrooms. We had a conference called Preach the Gospel. Uh, if you go to Preach the Gospel 2014, you can see all the information about what we did uh, at Emmanuel Baptist Church with our theological students and our missionary teachers uh, in this part of the world. We recorded all our sermons. I mean, we tried to make it, you know, first world kind of uh, theological conference. So fortunately, Jonathan and Jeremy are a little techier than I am, and they know how to do websites and all that sort of stuff. And so if you want to go there, you can kind of see uh, some of what we've accomplished. If you follow us on Facebook, you can see a bazillion pictures of the same stuff, uh, especially when we do it. So the Lord really gave us a neat opportunity, and we're hoping to be doing this on an annual basis, preaching good theology, modeling good preaching, uh, net, bringing net, trying to network churches that, that agree significantly on a lot of the most important things, uh, even though they may have very different names uh, in that part of the world. And we're just excited to be a part of what is taking place there. How can you pray for us? Uh, we have a team we're working with. It's not just the Huffstellers out there doing their own thing. Um, it involves a lot of people, and especially these, th- these three families. We are working together with uh, the two families uh, a lot in, in the school and in the conferences and some of those church planning efforts. Um, a lot of things I could say here. If you're, if, how to pray for us. These, these were mentioned in the video, but just to give you a little more detail, the word spread rapidly and be glorified. Pray that God's word would 
spread in places I can't make it go. My, my skin color, my language, my culture limits to some degree how, much, how far the word can go. And so pray that it will go beyond that and that locals will do that, uh, do what we can't do. For minds to be enlightened, I can't change people's minds. Holy Spirit has to do that. Pray for wisdom for us as, as we deal with safety, security, raising children, ministry, all those things, you know, that the missionaries go through. Safety from evil people. There's plenty of those around. Um, you know, all, our house has steel bars on the inside and the outside of all the windows. We have a panic button in the house in case we panic. And we push the button and a truck full of guys with clubs and plastic helmets shows up to club to beat up whoever we don't like. Um, so, you know, you, when you live like that, things are, you know, things you pray a little bit more often for your safety. And uh, Paul was familiar with them, right? Rescue us from perverse and evil men. Uh, God's name to be glorified. Pray that God will get the glory for whatever's happened in Nairobi and that people will not. Some of our goals for the future, faithful to the task and the gospel, continued progress in local language, uh, establish local churches and move toward a church plant, develop a network of like-minded churches and help EAPST and our students and faculty mature and grow. We're, we're a theological school. We've got a, we've got a logo and we've got, you know, We've got an idea, but we're still kind of a baby in what we're doing, and we're just kind of, you know, we're trying to figure out how all this is going to work. Uh, and so pray for, the, especially the theological training aspect of, of what we're doing. That takes some significant effort and time, and uh, we want to see that survive. We want to see that to be helpful, and, and we want to see churches planted out of that and men trained, and that's not necessarily an easy task. You can connect with us if you'd like. Join us in prayer. Take a prayer magnet over here. You can sign up for our, our newsletters over there. Follow us on Facebook. You probably can barely see the, the website there, uh, but you might get a better idea here. HuffsToKenya.org if you want more information than I've already shared with you about uh, what the Huffstutlers are doing there in Kenya. All right. Thank you for the opportunity to speak with you. I'm not sure if Zach is still in the room. Pray and close. Okay. Why don't we do that? Father, thank you for... Bring us together this morning. Thank you for the Lord's Day that we have to worship you, to uh, fellowship with the saints, to be equipped for ministry, uh, to learn about what's taking place in other parts of the world that you are uh, sovereignly accomplishing. And we're thankful to be a part of what you are doing in this part of the world. We're thankful that uh, this assembly and this ministry has been able to finally find a home and to build and have such a beautiful facility. And we pray that you would bless their effort to reach this community and this region with the gospel of Christ. Thank you for the leaders you have supplied here and given to this assembly. And those who have been a part of uh, the class this morning, we pray that this has been a helpful time for them. Uh, we pray that this would help them to be able to pray uh, more specifically, to understand your work uh, around the world and how we're, different people are a part of different things. Uh, and we thank you for the calling we have received by your Son. We pray that we would be conformed into his image. We pray these things in our Savior's name. Amen.